I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash work. Shopify.com slash work. Hello and welcome to Eureka, the show that gets under the skin of science in a good way as we invite a new expert every week to help us answer one of science's most interesting questions as decided, of course, by us. I'm Rick Edwards. And I'm Dr. Michael Brooks. And today we're going to be talking about pain. Right, we'll get straight into it. Uh, How is your pain tolerance, do you think? I think it's pretty good. Actually, I, I don't know what I base that on. <laughs> yeah, nothing. Uh, the fact that everybody else seems to marry. You know that thing when you're a kid where like you, you punch someone mm-hmm. and then they say, ah, oh, that really hurt. And then mm-hmm. you punch yourself the same amount and you say, see, it didn't hurt at all. It didn't hurt me. Mm. That's, that is me. <laughs> it's like, right, okay. I, I think I've got, yeah, I don't understand why other people suffer so Genuinely, much. Genuinely, that is not much less scientific than the way people have been studying pain over the years. <laughs> really? <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's that hokey. <laughs> Just like made up scales and stuff. <laughs> I love it. Yeah, so I, I, I personally think I have a really high pain threshold, mm. but I've no, I couldn't tell you why I think that. I think you just sort of rate yourself, don't you? Oh, kind of, yeah, yeah. Certainly on uh, physical stuff, yeah. Mm. Um, nails. Um, most painful thing that's ever happened to you? I mean, it's breaking a bone, probably. Uh-huh. Which one? Breaking my leg. I got my leg broken for me playing football. Somebody just slid in and snapped my tibia. Mm. And um, it was one of those things where I knew it was going to hurt more soon. You know, initially, it doesn't hurt so much. Yeah. But it was like, I heard that snap and I know it's... Mm. You know, I mean, it's the commit- snap's not a good sign, <laughs> It's it? not a good sign. Especially when I was at the corner flag and the goalkeeper said, oh, I heard that. <laughs> <laughs> but I, I did that thing when where... When people are saying, come in. <laughs> <laughs> I did that thing where you pretend it's not like what it is. And I thought, I've got to drive home before this swells up. And so literally drove home thinking, oh, maybe it's just a sprain. And maybe I, your pain threshold is high. And I, 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 so I accept that once I got to like the, it's only like five minute drive, got to the roundabout just before the turnoff for my, uh, for my road. And um, I just suddenly realised that I wasn't going to be able to press the brake pedal with my right foot. Great. <laughs> so I had to do the rest of the driving with my left foot Hang on. because it just hurts so much. You should be using your left foot to use the brake pedal anyway. No. You're driving a left-hand drive car. No. no, it's your right foot on the accelerator and the brake. 
I'm I'm using my uh, oh I I drive an automatic no. so I don't yeah I'm nowhere near the clutch. Well, <laughs> <laughs> oh the clutch, the good old days. <laughs> anyway, so so that at that point the pain was more than I could bear, and and I was literally you know changing the way I drove in order to bear mm. it. But at the same time, I've I've had. I wonder what the police would have said if they pulled you over. <laughs> <laughs> Erratic driving. Um, I think I've probably told you before what the most painful thing that I've ever experienced was. Do you remember I had that sort of weird UTI sort of infection thing <laughs> yeah. that was sort of lingering around and no one could figure out what yeah, it was yeah. for, for ages. And it was quite unpleasant. I was hospitalised on a, a number of occasions. And I had every sort of possible test done until in the end they were like, we're just going to have to have a look in your bladder. And as soon as someone says that, <laughs> you think to yourself... Okay, which way are they going? How are they getting in there? Yeah. Uh, oh, <laughs> <Ooh, dear. laughs> And there is only, yeah, there is only one way in. And it's, uh, well, it's up the boy. So I went in and it's a situation that the phrase legs akimbo is designed for. <laughs> right. So you're just wearing hospital gown and then uh, le- legs wide apart, everything on, on display, everything I think probably sort of quite shriveled just with the, oh with yeah the, yeah i mean yeah, all, yeah. you're not you're not everything's you're, withdrawing from the massively withdrawing the <laughs> um and and the doctor's there and there are two the, almost the best thing about it and also the worst thing about it was there was two trainee doctors there and um the the main doctor has to go out of the room for some reason to go and do something uh, and so i'm just sat there with the two um trainee doctors and one of them says <laughs> Love John T4. Uh, and I was like, well, uh, okay. Uh, it doesn't feel like, <laughs> doesn't feel like the time. I don't want to tell you about your bedside manner, but this fucking sucks. <laughs> uh, but then the main guy comes back in. He inserts the camera. Now he's, he's sort of, he's, he's injected some sort of anesthetic gel down there. Right. I think what's happened is it hasn't got quite far enough down. Mm-hmm. So when he's put it in, it gets to a point where suddenly it is the most searing pain. Uh, like, a, it, and and I'd say it's like a factor of ten worse than anything else I've ever felt. And I've like broken my wrist and stuff, like the classic yeah. things. And and I was like screaming. I was, at, and, and so he had to he had to take it out. I was Did like, he? I can't, oh I can't. no! But then he also he had to. So it, it yeah, went yeah, in three yeah. times before he. And I was just like, <gasps> <laughs> it was like, um. Uh, when I eventually like he, he got in there, he rooted around in a bladder or whatever it was, and uh, and then I, I left. And Emira was waiting outside in the waiting room, and she said, "When I came out, she's like, I've never seen anyone look more haunted or greyer. She's like, you look like a cadaver. Oh, wow. You just look like a dead person, haunted, grey man, just staggering out." And I genuinely didn't want to talk about it either. She was like, how was it? I was like, no. Did any of the doctors comment on the size of your testicles at all? No, actually. Oh. Should have asked. Yeah, I mean, they yeah, are. Should, is it abnormal? Abnormally yeah. Well, small? I think they are. I mean, I think I know that they are abnormally small. Okay. Um, but I mean, given the scenario, maybe it would have felt a bit like rubbing salt in Love the Love you uh, on T4. Yeah. I'm not sure about the testicle size. <laughs> Why are those so I was small? expecting yeah. more than that. <laughs> If anyone's confused, that, that's a callback to our genetics episode. Yeah, but, but also it's a sort of a callback to my actual life, which is I've got uh, small testicles. <laughs> so there we go. Whether it's breaking a bone, getting shampoo in your eyes, or being dumped by your first true love, there are some things in life that are pretty painful. But imagine any of these times by a hundred, or even a million. 
While experiences that are painful are comparatively rare, how do you think you react to a brutally painful event? Everyone has varying pain thresholds, so whether you soldier on at the gym after twisting your ankle on the treadmill, or you cry at the mere thought of the dentist, can there be a common ground for human feelings of pain? Can we all control our pain like Tibetan monks? Or is there some excruciating instances where we can't help but shout to the rooftops? That's why this week we're asking, what is the worst pain in the world? So helping us out on what will be a painful quest today, I think, is Dr. Monty Lyman. So Monty is a medical doctor. He's an academic clinical research fellow at the University of Oxford and author of The Painful Truth. So he looks at the boundaries and meaning of pain, as well as how conventional understanding of it and treatments are, in fact, failing us. <sighs> failing you, maybe. I mean, if this entire episode is just going to be you sitting there going, well, it wouldn't hurt me, uh, I think I'll probably quite enjoy it. So yeah, carry on. I'm loving it. <laughs> so we, um, obviously, we are, I think, sort of obsessed by pain these days. Uh, but presumably, I mean, through human history, it's been like a defining thing. Oh, t- totally. And, and I think... It's interesting you say defining thing because one of the problems throughout history has been actually defining what it is, what we mean by pain. It's fairly obvious that it's difficult to get a handle on because the range of things that we describe as pain is so great. So, you know, you can go from anything from a headache to sort of heartache, so sort of emotional pain to, uh, you know, back in the day thinking, oh, this pain is a punishment for, you know, a lifetime of bad habits or or this is a gift from God to be endured, like all that kind of stuff. Um, you know, and we've had huge misunderstandings, I think, around what, what pain is. I mean, as late as the late 19th century, um, I think in, in Glasgow at the, at, the, at the sort of School of Cancer Medicine there, they, they honestly thought that cancer pain might be contagious. Oh, right. the, the idea that you know you, you could catch pain from someone else um and it is it's also very hard to put into words what pain is so when yeah, you're yeah, trying to yeah, describe yeah. the pain it's sort of you, you you're grubbing around a bit yeah. for the right terminology um and so there's been various attempts to provide that terminology so there was a um a 1971 it's called the mcgill pain questionnaire and it and it it basically just provides 102 different words to describe pain. And that's fine, but it requires a kind of an agreement and an understanding of what those yeah, words yeah, mean, which is yeah. not that which doesn't really exist. So it's it's quite thorny as, so as a thing sort of, to get your So things like, oh, it's a stabbing pain, it's a constant pain, yeah, it's so a dull pain. Th- those are the kind of words that we do use, and I think we have some sort of consensus on on what they yeah. On, on what they mean. So it, they're, they're, they're useful, but they're quite, I mean, obviously imprecise. Yeah, yeah. Um, so getting a handle on, for example, what we were talking about, whether we feel pain differently, whether you have a higher pain threshold than me or, or greater pain tolerance than me, we will probably never know. Because well, we even, have to do the same thing and then report but, but, like how bad it is, don't we? Even then, I'm not sure you could be certain because my... Like, I don't know that my scale is the same as yours. So even if I'm yelping and you're just sitting there, my, it might be that my yelp is just the same as your as you're sitting there. We're just reacting differently. <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. Um, so it, it, it it's it's fiddly, 
Um, I but think knowing that you're fiercely competitive, if we had a thing where we like, I don't know, like drove a nail into our Oh, well, I'd, I'd be singing it pretending it didn't hurt. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly of course. Yeah. You would. Yeah. I'd make sure I won, of course. <laughs> so that would be pain tolerance, wouldn't it? In itself is quite interesting because genuinely the your mind has such a big influence over this. Yeah. And so I, I think this is quite a bold claim, but medical science has for years and years and years, I think got this really wrong because they've had this separate, and this doesn't just apply to pain. They've had this full separation between the mind and the body. Right, yeah. And that there is no such separation. They are effectively one and the same thing. Or, or the or, or the interplay is, is is so complicated it's meaningless to try and separate them, um, and I so I'm going to put the blame for that on Descartes. I think. Oh, are you? <laughs> yeah, I reckon because I was like Rene. Yeah, because before then, had anyone really sort of hammered the idea of mind and body being entirely separate? I don't know if they had. No, and, and lots of cultures would have had them absolutely inter, intertwined. Yeah, they? yeah, and then Descartes comes along and is like, well, no, they're totally. And I think people have really sort of bought into that. What a prick. Absolutely. Not enough people say it, actually. People are all like, oh, they can't, they can't. The guy's a prick. Yeah. <laughs> um, but also there's there's been, through through history, some ex- like awful examples of treatment and misuse of treatment, largely because of our misunderstanding or almost exploiting our misunderstanding of, of what pain is so we don't really have time to go into it but have you either seen dope sick or read empire of pain no but i've read reviews of empire of pain so empire of pain is is this book by uh patrick radden keith and it's all about the it's sackler the, Sacklers, the yeah, sackler yeah, family yeah. who are fabulously wealthy um family who owned uh, a company called Purdue Pharma, I think. Um, and they made OxyContin. And you've probably heard of OxyContin yeah. because that, uh, or Oxy, huge problems in America where you just have millions of people addicted to it. Um, and it's a painkiller. It's, it's a painkiller. It's right. an opioid painkiller. Yeah. And fundamentally, they knew how addictive it was and they just went ahead through various devious means of promoting it as widely as they possibly could. They basically cashed in on its how addictive it was, really. Well, yeah, partly that and partly they they just got it prescribed everywhere. They did an amazing... So one of the um, early Sacklers, who was not part of this kind of generation who were were working on OxyContin, he he sort of did the PR for Valium. He was the first... He was sort of credited with being the first person who came up with the kind of the marketing of drugs, really, okay. pharmaceutical drugs right, yeah. in, in America, which is obviously massive in America. We don't have it in the UK, thank fuck. <laughs> um, but it's, um, but yeah, they, they really. I mean, it, it's such a, it's a, it's an incredible book. It's quite long, but it's really worth mm. w- worth a worth a read. But um, yeah, it's a it's a it's a horrible horrible story, and it's all about, and it is all about pain, and and slightly how desperate people are to try and alleviate pain and particularly chronic pain so we sort of got to a a point now though where i think we're we're starting to challenge and change our our conventional understanding and and, and treatment of pain Um, so to kick off i asked monty to talk us through what our current definition of pain is so when i was at at medical school i always saw and was taught that pain was 
uh, a symptom of more interesting diseases. Uh, but actually, uh, pain that lasts for a long period of time, a pain that lasts for longer than the tissue injury that initially happened, which is often known as chronic pain or persistent pain, is a disease in and of itself. In many ways, pain can become wired on the brain and it becomes essentially a neurological uh, disease and it affects huge proportions of our society, estimates of, sort of between a fifth and a third of our society. It's the persistent pain is the, uh, the greatest cause of work-related absence, but more importantly, it ruins lives, it ruins relationships, and it, it shortens lives. And it's been very poorly understood until recent years, and there's a lot of really exciting pain science that's happening at the moment. There's quite a lot to, to get into here. I suppose it's worth trying to figure out what pain is, because the, the old idea is that pain is um, just a sort of product of injury or tissue damage. Yeah, so you can't say, oh, there's a you know, there's a half inch cut, therefore you'll have that amount of pain. And the, you know, if it's deeper mm. or you know, you can't necessarily correlate it with no, the no, degree no, of damage. No, not not at all. And you kind of but back in the day I think people definitely thought that you you could. So the more severe the damage, the greater the pain. It kind of makes some intuitive sense, but that's not really how it works. And pain is actually much more malleable and therefore more manageable. I think, than we previously uh, imagined. But pain perception is constructed from a load of sensory information and also context. So it's quite sort of multi-dimensional. Like there's a lot feeding into what we perceive as pain. Um, so, so if you've got something like, you know, like a paper cut, yeah. what you've got is, is nerves that are exposed or or... or I'm trying to think what the, the sort of mechanism is. Yeah, so you've got signals going into the brain that basically say something's wrong. Yes, is that right? yeah, 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 exactly. So if you think about actually the sort of the the physical part of it, and this is called this is good actually. This is a word that I've read a lot, know a lot, but suddenly realised I'd never heard out loud, so I don't know how uh, how, <laughs> so, how, yeah, how yeah. you say it. So I'm yeah. going to guess it's nociception or, oh, no, no, or no, nociception. I don't know. I think it would be nociception. Isn't there an I after the I C? I don't think. Uh, don't think so. No. No. Okay. Don't think so. Anyway, so you've got these things that are uh, called nociceptors. Let's assume that's how you pronounce it. If you know, get in um, touch with the show. And and, and they uh, and there's, there's three different types, and they're triggered by. So uh, one will deal with thermal stuff, so hot, oh, yeah. cold, whatever. Yeah. One mechanical, so like pressure a cut and one that's chemical so an irritant or you know certain sort of chemical burns or whatever and and and, and you you describe all of these things as being kind of noxious stimuli so they get triggered there's no such thing as so this is a common misguided. there's not such a thing as sort of pain nerves okay or pain receptors that's not really what these are but they, they travel up these two different types of fibres. So you've got the, the sort of the very quick ones that you call sort of first pain, uh, the A-delta fibres. And so that goes very quickly. And so that's like, ah, I've just touched something hot. Um, and then you have the, the, the sort of second pain go up these C fibres. Uh, and that tells you something that something's still hurting or throbbing or whatever. Yeah. But all of that up to that point is not pain. So that's nociception. That is just the nervous system's response to the original damage or, 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 or stimulus. And then pain only comes after that when the brain processes the signals. 
Okay, that's interesting. So, yeah. it, like, even though it feels like the pain is happening where where you're feeling it, yeah, it's not. It's 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 all happening in your brain. That doesn't mean it's not real, but it's all happening in your brain. And those incoming signals can be amplified. They can be attenuated. They can be sort of reappraised by by the by the brain. So you can have very different experiences of the same stimulus. So you you might well experience the same stimulus. In fact, you probably do differently to me, but yeah. then equally, you could experience the same stimulus differently to yourself on another day. Oh right, okay, yeah, <laughs> which is which is really yeah. weird. And it's it's interesting to sort of think it has to be processed. Yeah, I was thinking. Yeah, you know, I, I mean, I probably bored you before about the time I got tased. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I don't remember that as being painful. I remember thinking, I don't want to do that again. Mm. But it sort of knocks out, effectively knocks out your central nervous system with a fifty thousand volt jolt, and I only got half a second. Mm. And so I just collapsed on the floor. And pussy. I do, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There are people who are like hard enough to stand yeah. up and just say, come on, bring it on. But yeah. I'm not one of them. No. And, um, well, but, you know, I, and I didn't have, you know, obviously I was the first person in the UK to be tased. <laughs> For God's sake. <laughs> so, but my point is, it only lasted half a second. I was sort of debilitated. But I don't think it was pain as such, because if it had carried on, maybe I would have experienced it as pain. But maybe that... You know, I didn't almost have time for it to be a painful yeah, thing. Yeah, it, it sounds like your your brain hasn't really processed that as pain. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I mean, I, th- I suppose the thing to take away is that pain is a, an, it's an individual and subjective experience that will depend not just on the stimulus, but on your mood, the level of attention you're 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 giving it, the the the, the context. And if you just think about like something really simple, like. Uh, Picking up like picking up a pan that's got a really hot hot handle. Yeah. So there's lots of stuff going on there. First of all, you've got um, you, the pan is hot, so there's like thermal detection, and then you've got uh, the location of that. So you're, you're thinking about the location. That's that's my hand, and then you're thinking how it, what's the intensity like of, of that? So your brain is sort of processing. Yeah, it is yeah. you know how how painful is that effectively? Uh, and then you've got have you engaged your attention on 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 that how much are you paying attention to that um then you've got a sort of an an, an emotional element where you're like obviously as soon as it happens you immediately oh i don't like that yeah um and then so it's again as i said it's sort of it's multi-dimensional and then imagine that you'd you'd, you'd really burnt your hand badly pick up a pan before so you've got some kind of expectation around it yeah and so all of this is kind of feeding into so is that the sort of anticipation of possible pain if i if i judge this wrong yeah yeah and then if you do judge it wrong it's even worse because you're you've sort of given it more attention you you could you can make an argument that um your perception our perception of everything as as a human is sort of about predicting stuff yeah always trying to be like slightly one step ahead yeah of what is so in the classic example actually and 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 it's a really interesting feeling because it's one of the few times that you'd be aware of this you know when you misjudge a step <laughs> so when you just say so you're, you're you're walking along and you and you go to step off the pavement and you, you don't think about this consciously but as you're stepping off the pavement your brain is doing it is doing a an anticipation where it's like well i know roughly how far that yeah we're, we're going down here and then and then if it's if it's either lower 
or or deeper. You yeah. kind of go, oh, yeah, yeah. and it's because you've been surprised by the the thing that you thought was yeah, going to happen yeah, not happening. Yeah. And I think that that is the case always. But there's not many like the brain's pretty good at it. Yeah fundamentally yeah because we we operate in quite familiar environments yeah we? yeah so we kind yeah. of know how everything's yeah. going to work yeah except when it doesn't yeah yes exactly now i think what what i've been talking about there is all really acute pain so response to to some some form of damage yeah but chronic pain is is an entirely different thing and and chronic pain has only been recognized as its own thing really recently so i think 2019 it's when it kind of oh wow yeah okay. which is which is mad and chronic pain affects so many people. I mean, uh, Monty just alluded to it. I think it's one in five Americans. It's fifty million people. Wow. Um, and again, that tells you why there was sort of captive market for the sacklers. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, and it, and it's and there's lots of different estimates in the UK, but they think maybe one in three people over their lifetime will experience chronic pain. And and chronic pain is just it's just different. So. It's not a response to a stimulus or, or, or damage. Generally, it seems to start with a short-term injury. Yeah. But then when the damage is healed, the pain sensation continues. And it's like your brain has become wired to be oversensitive, overcautious, like it's hyper alert. Um and it's an it's an absolute nightmare because for for years and years, people would go in and say, "Look, I'm I'm I've I'm having this crippling pain. It's like yeah. destroying my destroying my life. I can't go to work." Um, and doctors are then examining them and going, "But there's nothing wrong with you." Yeah. And and this again is the issue of the misunderstanding of the sort of mind body divide. So is this where doctors should be saying, "I can't find anything wrong with you, but I, you know, obviously take but, you seriously and you, let's try and manage this experience that you're having." That that is exactly it. Um, that's that's sort of the big thing in in reading about all of this stuff. The main thing I took away is whatever someone says their experience of pain is that that is it. Yeah, and you have to just take that at face value. It doesn't matter whether you can find the sort of the the root cause. Yeah, the pain is there, and the pain is real for them. Um, but looking for sort of simple physical fixes is is basically not going to do it for chronic pain so it's like there's really weird stuff like people with um sort of chronic back pain which is the classic yeah. which i which i have yeah um when i've been mri there's nothing wrong with my back like there's no there's no functional defects it look it it, it looks fine um which and i remember the first time i got scanned i was like oh that's good and i was like no, hang no, on. it's not. That's, is it? that's terrible. Yeah. That's, that's yeah. much worse. We're, we're, yeah, we're not yeah. going anywhere yeah, with yeah. this, are yeah. we? Yeah. So you can look at young, healthy people, scan their backs and find sort of features in their back that you would go, oh, that might be uncomfortable, but they're absolutely fine and report no pain whatsoever. Yeah. So it's pretty complicated. So chronic pain is like a brain malfunction or something where a signal gets sort of misread or amplified or something. I mean, is this... You know, but, but it persists is the thing, isn't it? And it, and it yeah. just, yeah, and it doesn't go away. Mm. So is that just, you know, a kind of evolutionary shortcoming? It's like we've, a price we have to pay. Somehow, somehow some of us have this sort of response that isn't helpful for survival. It's, it's really sort of... I mean, people must have always had things like this. Yeah, and it well, probably was just seen as a curse or you know something like that. May, maybe, it's, yeah. So this is interesting. It might be that chronic pain is is newer than 
than that, actually. Um, so, yeah, it, it's fairly obvious. You can see how acute pain, so damage-related yeah. pain, is good for an evolutionary point of view. Yeah. It's just a warning system. Yeah. Um, and and also, as soon as you get it, like the, the body will start trying to, you know, flood flood the air with its own painkillers, all that kind of stuff. You're like, yeah, yeah, that, that yeah. that's working. I get it. And and you see it across the entire animal kingdom, possibly even in plants as well, actually. Um, although they you you struggle to they sort of experience pain in the same way. Um, but so it's it's adaptive and it's protective. But chronic pain, you just like it. That feels like it's serving no purpose at all. So I asked Monty. Pain is vital for survival. Pain is a lifesaver. Pain is hugely adaptive. And I think generally we need to see pain as a protector, a bodyguard. Even if it's ruining our lives as long-term pain, pain is always trying to protect us. So yeah, from an evolutionary point of view, it is it is very adaptive. The trouble is with, in terms of chronic pain, long-term pain, is that the environment we live in, in our, in our modern society, is not the environment we evolved into. And... The brain is, in many ways, p- partly a, a threat detector, and it errs on the side of caution. It errs on the side of what are called false positives. So it, it would rather assume something is dangerous that actually isn't dangerous than assume something that actually is dangerous isn't. So actually, it can be very easy over a period of time to have a, an acute damage to your body, but over time for your pain to become ramped up and wired in the brain and then and then it can be really hard to, to get out of so in a sense actually pain is very adaptive for how our ancestors lived with acute threats of saber-toothed tigers or exposure to flames and things like that but actually in our modern society and particularly as we're living longer and living in a society where you get a lot of psychological and social stress stresses like poverty and uh, uh, prejudice and oppression all of these things are fuel for, for chronic pain. Anything that increases a sense of threat increases pain. So modern society is yeah, fuel for pain's bonfire, basically. It's a good line, isn't it? What a quote that is. Modern society is fuel for pain's bonfire. I mean, he's, he's, It's not he's, great news. <laughs> I mean, he's basically like... I don't want to be alive right now. Mm. Mm. That's, that's amazing to me that like this isn't just a constant through history. This is a new. Don't think thing. so. Don't think so. That really surprises me. Mm. Um, but it, I, I suppose it does kind of make sense because chronic pain, when you compare it to the pain that you you had when you were running up a hill or you know <laughs> running away what, from like an animal, or, yeah, like I mean, a stitch is quite bad, isn't like it? Like the the stuff, but that that stuff, you're like, well, we've we've probably always felt that because we've always yeah. been been doing it, but it's just completely, we just lead completely different lives now, God. completely different stresses and stresses and strains. So, I mean, talking about athletic pain, like you know, running up a hill or whatever else, mm. or you know, when you you get cramp, or, mm-hmm. you know, like massive sort of amounts of performance in modern sports stars effectively they're going through they talk about going through the pain barrier and sort of getting yeah. getting sort of putting up with the pain and just running through it mm. i mean is, is that is that a, a thing or can you you know can you can you run through pain and, and is that damaging you in some way so i think it it is a thing and it's not so much about running through the pain as it is uh improving your your pain threshold and your and your pain tolerance 
Um, it's sort of no pain, no gain. The Rock. So, <laughs> Love um, The Rock. You've you, you got to bring The Rock in when you can. Yeah. So we'll get into the pain of elite athletes, phantom pain, which is probably the worst sort, uh, and hypnotherapy. Oh. Don't, don't, don't giggle. Oh, no, uh, no, no, no. Hypnotherapy no. is pain relief after this quick break. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy, Allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Selling a little or a lot? Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage. All the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage. Shopify is there to help you grow. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the Internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. Because businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Get a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com work. Shopify.com work. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. And we're back. Uh, so you were talking about athletes um, yeah. and, and whether they feel the same level of pain I guess like you see them they grimace and then they push through it and yeah you know, and they come out the other side so um this is this has been tested so there's kind of um anecdotal evidence really well you just look at it and it's like you sort of go well I feel like they must be they must be able to push through the pain bar in a way that when I you know, if I start getting a stitch I'm just going to stop yeah. and I don't think that that happens with that. And in fairness they're probably also not getting a stitch in the same way <laughs> it's probably a bit fitter but when you look at uh elite um elite level athletes particularly the ones who are, are doing sort of um sports with long duration and kind of like really physically intense activity so yeah. i think that the the group that they looked at were like cross country skiers which is really which oh, okay. is hard work yeah. and they're training for hours and that those guys will have increased pain tolerance increased heat pain threshold they'll have a lower feeling of pain intensity with thermal stimulation yeah um so basically they are just 
better equipped to deal with pain. Has, through, has anybody ever done their, any sort of studies training. of their biochemistry? It's like I don't know actually. Is there, not that because it strikes seen. me that if you're going to become an elite level athlete, you must have certain biochemical properties that mean that you can perform that much better and and you know do that much more. My than suspicion other is that this is going to be because pain is in the brain. This is going to be about rewiring the brain and neuroplasticity, not a physical characteristic. Yeah. I would think. So when you're training, you just want it that much more and you push yourself that much harder. Yeah. And that results in, I guess, changed yeah. physical characteristics, but really it's it's the, it's about the brain. Yeah. Um, and, and you can actually see a difference between uh, sort of endurance athletes and like football players. Um, so you've just got to compare, yeah, these, these cross-country skiers with football players and then with, you know, elite football players yeah, and yeah. then just sort of people who are like, not, not like us, just yeah. sort of, Almost active. elite, yeah, oh yeah, yeah, Get, getting there, knocking on the door, yeah. of elite. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah okay. And, I'd and like to put myself than, up against them. Higher honest. than the, yeah, yeah, yeah. Good luck. Um, certainly not a cross country skiing. No, no, I'd love to. No, see no, it. We, no, we're not doing that. Obviously, that's that's yeah. not my sport. No, we're playing football. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but the and it looks like that the ability to tolerate pain, the more training hours that you do, the more tolerance you'll have. So cross-country skiers tend to train more hours than, than football players, interestingly. Yeah. And it's a different type of training because football players, you think about the, the type of activity, it's kind of anaerobic and aerobic. It's yeah, kind of a yeah. mix. Whereas the, uh, the the skiers are just aerobic. They're mad fit, basically. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, it does, it, does, it does absolutely make a difference. But I, I and I, I haven't seen anything about the biochemistry, but I do think it will be, it will be entirely about the, the brain. One time when I... Um, I deliberately sort of experienced pain when I was researching 13 things that don't make sense. A mm -hmm. chapter on placebo. Mm -hmm. I went to this hospital in Milan where they do placebo research. And this woman hooked me up to this thing that gave me an electric shock. Mm -hmm. And she basically said, when I show you this green thing on the, on the screen, you're going to get the shock. Mm -hmm. And when I show you the blue thing, you're not going to get the shock. And she then sort of mixed it all up so that my brain didn't know what was coming. And, and I started to anticipate a, a shock or not a shock. And I would rate my pain, whether I got the shock or whether I got a big shock or whatever else. Mm -hmm. And she was able to basically manipulate my brain using the, the display yeah. on the screen so that I didn't feel any shock, basically, when, yeah. when I, she was giving me the same big yeah. electric shock. But because my mind was anticipating that I wouldn't get it, it just didn't, didn't happen for me. It was amazing to me that I fell for that. I think we would all fall for it. Is is, is the truth of the matter? Well, I like to you're think not, so. Yeah, yeah. 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 You're, you're not just uh, uniquely gullible. <laughs> um, uh, and Monty's actually got a very good story about when his mind, and this is without any outside influence, his mind sort of tricked him. One of the worst pains that I've ever had, and one of the, the mildest experiences of pain that I've had, have been around the same time by the same object. So I was on my summer holidays uh, from medical school with some friends on a beach in West Wales and we'd gone to play uh, beach cricket so I was with a, a sporty bunch of people I'm not very good at sport I'm not very coordinated at all so they made me uh, a, f a fielder right in the distance away from where everything was going on but at one point I had to run and try and catch a ball when I was running across the beach I felt the just the smallest twinge in my right foot my right foot lifted off the sand for a second and then maybe five ten minutes later and 
saw that there was a wire going into the base of my right foot, into the ball of my right foot. And as I looked at my foot, there was a very large fish hook that had become completely embedded in the ball of my foot, and it was and sort of blood was oozing out of it. And that was when the pain started. So I say the pain was a sort of a six out of ten at that point. Then all my friends came and came over to look at it. And they're like, oh, that's amazing! That's really disgusting. And I was actually quite quite proud. I was like, you know, I can't play cricket, but um, I can step on a fish hook. And while that was happening, the pain went down to a four or a three. While I was quite proud of it and showing it off. And then once my friends had lost interest, and I sort of went and sat on the edge of the harbour wall, looking at this fish hook, fish hook stuck in my foot, and deciding whether I should go to A and E, the pain went up to a seven or an eight. And when I sort of imagined the the motions of sort of yanking it out or twisting it out of my foot pain went up to a nine i went up to a 10 more than a 10 and there's a second half to the story in that the i took the fish hook out and it healed and about a year later i was in a similar area of west wales um, i was went for a run along one of the beaches with my parents dogs and about five minutes into the run i felt just the worst searing pain shoot up my the ball of my right foot uh, and looked at the ball of my right foot and there was the tiniest scratch from probably a pebble or something like that and when I saw it the pain went away but what happened is that before I consciously had any feeling of pain or anything like that, like that my brain was predicting what that signal was so a danger signal, a small danger signal was sent from my foot to my brain It is all about <sighs> expectation Yeah, like to the extent that the placebo effect, because you know the 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 thing about the placebo effect is, I think it gets a really get, uh, bad press because people are like, with somehow sort of deception or trickery or like it feels like it's not real or something. That like it's it, it doesn't feel like people look at it positively. Yeah, I know what you mean. But yeah. actually, it's fantastic, and it should just be renamed like the expectation effect. Yeah. Yeah. And you should just acknowledge the yeah. power of it and yeah. and 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 enhance it because you can use it medically in oh, a very positive way. T- totally, and I will come on to to talk about this. And you can do it with extraordinary results, in fact. Um, but I'm going to tell you a couple of stories similar to Monty's, I guess, but for like famous stories that you might actually be aware of, where the body has just got something totally wrong, but in a very understandable way. It's just predicted something. Mm. So. In 1995, there's a sort of famous case of a builder who has jumped down on, on his site. He's wearing his work boots, but he's jumped onto a six-inch nail. The nail has gone straight through his boot. Yeah. He's just like, fuck! <laughs> Whisked off to hospital, excruciating pain. They give him some painkillers. It settles down. He's like, oh, God, God, God. They get the, uh, they get the yeah. boot off, and they're like, oh, the nail has missed. It's gone between his toes. It hasn't. <laughs> it hasn't pierced right. his foot. But the brain, not unreasonably, has pieced together all of that sensory information. It's gone. I've just jumped onto a nail. That's bad. I can see that the nail has gone through. I can see that it's gone through the boot. Yeah. And so that pain, that you could look back on and say, well, that's not. That wasn't real. But it. It sort of. It, it was just as real as any other pain it just with all of the available evidence that that was a reasonable conclusion for the, for the brain to come to so quite humiliating for the guy yeah, i was gonna say so he's basically assumed that it's gone through his foot and you can't feel it well yeah but not consciously that's the thing he hasn't sort of i mean subsequently yes consciously you look at it and go well yeah absolutely my, my, my foot yeah. hurts. but the brain's immediate assessment is well that's that's really bad <laughs> and actually nothing, and actually, nothing happened no, nothing to him. N- he needs n- to grow a pair he, well yes yeah, and then whack a nail through the pair. <laughs> <laughs> but then there's another 
Um, I, I think sort of <laughs> worst story where. Um, and this is from uh, 2007, again featuring a nail, this time a four-inch nail. Okay. This made me feel honestly sick. So, again, a builder, he's using a nail gun. Somehow, like, something happens, and the nail gun fires, and it sort of fires towards his to, towards his face. Um, he's like, whoa! But, uh, as far as he can sort of tell, everything's fine. He's like, I think, oh no, it's okay. I've just got a slightly, he had a bit of um, like mild toothache and a bit of a bruise by his, uh, by, by his jaw. Yeah. But he carried on um, abs- essentially absolutely fine for six days <laughs> right, until, until eventually, I, can't, I, I actually can't remember what the, what the trigger was, but he was like, no, maybe something is going on here. He went and got an x-ray. The nail had entered his uh, head <laughs> and uh, pierced his uh, cerebral cortex. Holy shit. So this is a situation where the brain has looked at the available evidence and gone, I think we're, I think we're all right. <laughs> we got actually. away with it. <laughs> I think we've got away with it. And so he had no pain. Whereas if he'd known that that had gone in, yeah. it, I mean, you'd be, you'd be, you'd be like... Freaking you'd be out, freaking out. freaking yeah, out like yeah, you wouldn't yeah, believe. Yeah. And, in, and in agony. Yeah. And he was basically, like I say, basically fine. So you just go back to work the next day. Yeah. Yeah, but six days. Six <laughs> days with a nail like embedded in you. In your head. It's uh Presumably they took it out. I th- they I think, didn't I say, think oh, they... do you know what? If you've done six days, you're probably fine. Yeah. Do, do you want it as a souvenir? Yeah. 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 <laughs> just don't put any magnets close to your face. <laughs> um, but that's the sort of that's the power of the mind in creating what it believes to be the sort of the situation. Yeah, um, and 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 it is worth saying as well that that is re- it, those sound like sort of fails, but actually you'd much rather that you'd much rather the brain was working very hard to make these predictions um, that they're not. And if you so for example, if you don't feel pain, so there's there's a really rare condition called congenital analgesia, yeah, where you just don't feel pain. And uh, there's a there's a case of a uh, a boy in Pakistan called Naveed who was 13 and he didn't just didn't feel any pain. And he used to sort of like, he'd walk on hot coals and everyone would love it. And he'd sort of stab himself in the hand and everyone would love it. And he just wouldn't feel anything. And then one day he jumped off, uh, I think the roof of his, of his house to sort of impress his friends, like quite high, fell, dusted himself off, picked himself up, wandered off fine. And then subsequently uh, passed out and he'd got such a bad bleed on his brain, he died. <sighs> but I had no idea. Right. Yeah. So pain is a really important protective mechanism that you need. You absolutely need it. Um, you just don't need chronic pain. I mean, you really don't you, need chronic pain. No, no, no. You don't need chronic pain at all. And when it comes to chronic pain, it's fairly clear that taking a painkiller or an opioid, so it doesn't really matter how strong the painkiller is, that's not going to rewire the brain, which is effectively what you... Because the, the, the painkillers are acting on a certain sort of electrical signals or chemical pathways or, or something, aren't they? They're, they're not acting on the thing that's inside the brain, effectively. No, no. And it can, in fairness, they can have some effects, but they're never going to get rid of it. They, 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 yeah. couldn't, they couldn't get rid of it. And, it, and 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 the aim really has got to be to try and get rid of the chronic pain, not just think. Well, I, I mean, it would be possible, although actually it doesn't even have 
it sort of works for about one in three chronic pain sufferers, I think, to just dose yourself up with painkillers, just numb everything. But that in itself is a pretty miserable existence yeah, anyway. Yeah. And it's clearly not the, the right sort of route to take. So I asked Monty to share actually his own, he's got a personal journey with alternative pain relief methods. I had never heard about hypnotherapy when I was at medical school. I was very sceptical about it. The only hypnotherapy, those hypnosis I'd ever come across was either comic or sinister uh, on, you know, on TV or in movies. But I actually went to a hypnotherapist to, to interview him for my book. And he asked whether I experienced any, t- any long-term pain. And I, I said, yes, I've, you know, I've suffered with IBS for as long as I can remember and sometimes it, most of the time it's embarrassing or uncomfortable but sometimes you know I can't even get out of bed and he said okay but why don't we do a, a hypnotherapy session and then I'll give you the recording and you can practice yourself so so we did a session and it wasn't like and it was it essentially felt like a deep sense of, of relaxation and he was just sort of focusing my attention to different parts of my body and he told me to imagine my sort of bowels as rocky rapids and then to visualize them as the languid Thames with punts gently floating down it and just to continue continually reimagine that um, so we did that uh, sent me home with the recording I did it for sort of 15 minutes every morning for a couple of weeks didn't really do anything I was still quite sceptical but then after about a, a couple of months it started to make a difference and within sort of three four months my IBS was completely cured and it basically hasn't come back since and I'm not saying that hypnotherapy is the only cure for every type of long-term pain, but it's the, the, the stuff that's behind it. It's the idea that it's it was decoupling the pain that I was experiencing um, with fear, with threat, with fear that I was damaged in some way. And the kind of the powerful visualization as well was a way of helping my, basically winning over my brain, using the power of, of visualizing uh, repeatedly actually reduced the sort of the quote-unquote pain areas in my brain. So what I think this comes down to is trying to make, when it comes to chronic pain, trying to make your brain feel safe in your body, which sort of sounds mad. Yeah. But I think that is No, that, but I get that. that. It. It's like your brain is just like freaking the fuck out, basically. Yeah, and you just need to reassure it. You yeah. need to try and reduce the threat cues yeah. that it's perceiving. Yeah. And so, yeah, hypnotherapy, physiotherapy, exercise, all sorts of uh, things do seem to have Presumably genuine... Presumably meditation as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, will have genuine uh, positive effects on, on, on chronic pain. And, and one of the things that is interesting is if you can shift the brain's attention to visual tasks... That's really good because visual tasks take up a lot of sort of mental capacity. Yeah. And so you sort of like swamp the brain with something else to think about and it stops focusing on the pain. And so virtual reality is amazing for this. And so this, I, I think this will be the, this will be it for, for chronic pain. Wow. I think in the next sort of five years or so, virtual reality will be one of the main ways out of it. Um, So there's some excellent studies going on. So in the University of Washington, they've been getting severe burn patients. And when you have to dress and undress their wounds, that is absolutely agonising. And what what they've been doing is they've been getting some 
to, to wear VR headsets and they yeah. play a game uh, called Snow World where you're just pelting snowballs at like penguins and mammoths and stuff. Right. Sounds, sounds, yeah, yeah. sounds quite fun. Yeah. And and it's really involving, it's really engaging and it's really distracting. And when, when you when you talk to them, the, the, the patients, they're like, the pain is halved. Wow. Halved by that. So so they're asking for, for, for less painkillers. Yeah. I, I, immediately, yeah. Um, and when you do MRI scans of their um, of the sort of pain related activity, and we, we're not, we're sort of. There was an idea uh, probably twenty years ago that we'd be able to create these perfect maps of pain in in, in yeah, the brain, and, yeah. and I don't think we're quite there. But we do know we can see when certain areas light up. And we know that they they relate to yeah. pain, and you can see that yes, activity is is much less when you when you put them in these virtual reality settings um and there's another one in in strasbourg uh, called hypno vr um and there you get uh some post-surgery kids and you just you just put them in sort of peaceful locations like woodlands or, or beaches and you have a nice sort of soothing sort of calm voice and again the kids require about half of the normal amount of of morphine wow that they, that they would have done so it's really um it's it's really impressive. I wonder and, if that feels like the way feels like the way forward. Yeah, I mean, I wonder if that'll trickle down to like childbirth and things like that. Potentially, like we yeah. just you just give birth with a VR Ex- headset. Except, but people you, like to be need, present in that well, moment. That, don't they? and also you need to be able to focus on pushing, don't you? So uh, I wonder because yeah. your our, our brain is amazing but it, it can only really sort of cope with one reality at a time yeah and so if you present it with a different reality which is what the virtual reality is doing obviously yeah that the actual reality sort of falls by the wayside and you kind of need some attention on that actual reality don't you so i don't know so how... somebody needs to invent a, a vr game where you're actually pushing out yeah a but, child. It, but it doesn't hurt <laughs> it doesn't hurt. It really doesn't hurt yeah yeah maybe don't know um but the the sort of belief, what you were saying about your placebo yeah. experiment, like belief is so strong. So what you think is happening, so I, I mean, you know, exactly like the guy who thought he had a nail through his foot yeah. and exactly like the guy who didn't think he had a nail in his head. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, what you believe is sort of all, all important. And there is a, an absolutely superb experiment. You know, we occasionally—I think we've had a, a few in the last in the last few episodes. Actually, just great experimental design. You like? I like it. So they got volunteers, and then they were burning them on the leg. Oh right! <laughs> and asked to rate the pain on a on a pain scale, sort of zero to a hundred. And yeah. again, like you know, we don't need to go in again to the fact that pain scales are, are, are tricky, and you don't know whether your seventy is the same as my seventy, but yeah, whatever. Yeah. Um, you got everyone to say that they were roughly at 70. Um, and then they're, they're in an MRI scanner as well, so you can see what's going on in their brain. And they're, they're also on an IV drip for an opioid painkiller, so strong, strong painkiller. So first of all, they're just sitting there. You don't tell them that anything's happening, but you've started giving them the drug and you ask them what their, what their um, pain level is. Like. Yeah. And, it, and for everyone... It drops so, and I think actually, they, everyone sort of starts at an average of sixty-six, and it drops down to about fifty-five. So that is the drug just working without any sort of expectation yeah, yeah, around okay. it. You don't you don't think it's in there, but it's but it's happening. The whole way, th- the key thing is the whole way through this experiment, you keep the same level of pain relief. Of course, you no, do. nothing changes. Then next, you say, ah, 
we started uh we started giving you the drug now um so uh how do you feel and and they're like oh yeah uh it's gone down from 55 now to 39 yeah it's at the same level yeah so that's idiots yeah well kind of but y- you'd be that idiot as well uh and then <laughs> you say it's stopped we've we've we've, we've turned the drug off unfortunately it's still the same level um and you're also told that something yeah, you your pain might increase here and it went everyone self-reported went up from 39 to 64 so effectively back to where you started the same as no pain relief yeah so you you get rid of the effect of the drug so you can sort of do anything you like there. that's both placebo and nocebo no right yeah yeah and both really powerful. We're so easily manipulated, aren't yeah, we? Yeah, but but that's isn't that encouraging though? That if you can do that, then you should be able to trick the mind into not I giving guess you so. chronic pain. Yeah, I mean, I, when I did my thing, I was really surprised that because I knew I was researching the placebo effect. Mm. You know, I literally knew what must be going on, but yeah. I had no power over it at all. No. So so it seems like you know it doesn't even matter if you say to people, "Look, it's just a placebo," but but they, we can manage this. They've done experiments with that where they literally say, we're going to give you a placebo for this thing and it will still have an effect Yeah, if, uh, according to the cues that they give them. It's mad, it's, isn't it's it? It's really mad. Um, but it does mean that poor expectation of the treatment you're about to get can override a, like a, a potent pain yeah. reliever. Which is really, which is really worth bearing in mind for for doctors in terms of what they say to people about what is about to to happen. I think. Um, whereas if you have a, a positive expectation, it can sort of double it, double right. the effect of, of of the same drug. Yeah. So you can go either way according to how you sort of prep yeah. someone. Um, so when I was a kid and punching my brother, what I should have said was, first of all, this level of punching won't hurt that much. It, look, yeah. I can do it to myself and it doesn't hurt. Uh-huh. And then when I punch him. He'd have said, "Oh yeah, you're right." Yeah. Instead, I but, punched I mean, him first, and then punched myself, and said, "No, yeah, it doesn't you're hurt. doing the wrong order." Yeah, yeah, oh. yeah. Um, it, I, I do also think, I don't know if this is right. I think it is that, given that, it's quite interesting for clinical trials because if you don't manage the expectation of the subjects, then a negative expectation might end up just masking true efficacy you see what i mean you could be testing a drug to try and work out oh yeah it's, yeah it's effective but if people don't think it's going to then it might not but that's not because the drug hasn't worked and i think i've i think i've read elsewhere that um drug companies want to be able to like get people out of trials if they're particularly suggestible yeah because yeah, actually it's, it's sort of because of placebo the, and nocebo. yeah, yeah it, because the placebo then is as, almost as good as their drug and, and yeah. like, that's really problematic yeah yeah or nocebo is making their their good drug look shit. Yeah, yeah. So you have to, yeah. So they want to be able to control for that. Mm. But I like the idea of you know being able to take control of this, f- design ways in which you can do pain intervention, but without you know necessarily intoxicating or addicting people. Yeah. You know, in in the same way. Well, that's the thing. If you think about like using VR, there's not really any adverse side effects. You might get a bit of motion sickness, maybe, yeah. but that's about it. Yeah. Whereas opioids, uh, addiction, and then, uh, yeah. oh dear, death. Yeah. Not great. Not ideal. So I realise we haven't really answered the um, the, the question, what's the worst pain 
in well, the world because I would argue that we have it's it's that it's, chronic pain that doesn't yeah. have an actual yeah it's not a nail through the foot or a no. nail through the jaw no it's no the pain no that no you can't no yeah i think well, th- yeah you're right it's it's chronic pain but then you you also i think have to acknowledge that you can't really compare one person's chronic pain to another person's chronic pain or one person's acute pain to another so it's pretty much just whatever the worst pain for you is right yeah yeah um I, I mean, mean that, yeah, I, I was going to say, like, when we started, I thought we were going to talk about, like, you know, insect bites or, like, snake bites. Or, I just yeah. don't think it, yeah, it, it only makes sense for an individual. Like, you could come yeah. up with your own yeah. scale if you wanted to, but I don't think that that scale would translate to, to the wider population necessarily. Yeah. Although when I was reading, a lot of people did say kidney stones. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, apparently kidney stones is absolutely horrific. My father had those. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he um, moaned a lot. And what I did, I mean, you know, bringing it back to my fantastic story about my getting my bladder examined, the thing that apparently is most painful about kidney stones is when the stone passes out of the kidney and that sort of scraping down... <laughs> And that's effectively what the uh, what the camera is doing. Yeah, lovely. So, yeah. so I was like, yeah, I'll, I'll, yeah. I'll buy that. So you might have had the worst pain experience, you know, well, in terms I'm of just, you know, physical pain. I'm just saying. I'm just saying. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get Monty's view on the worst pain in the world. The worst pain in the world is the worst pain that you experience. And that, I promise that that isn't a cop-out. Pain is completely subjective and there is no proper way of measuring pain uh, on scans or or whatever outside of asking people and understanding where they're coming from so i think the key message is your pain is is completely real and we can't necessarily compare different types of pain well the the other answer that i get from people when i ask them is that stepping on lego is the worst kind of pain yeah so he's he's agreeing with us and he's giving us quite a fun answer well done monty good good work monty i like that yeah, I actually don't think I've ever stepped on any Lego. Well, it's because you don't have any kids, isn't it? But I was a child once, presumably. And I yeah, had it's Lego. not the same. When you, so when you're an adult, especially when you're like, a, let me tell you from experience. Is it the ignominy? No, it's because you're the... a new father. You've been eating too much. You've been comfort eating. Yeah. You're fat, you're heavy, uh-huh. and you're not very coordinated because you're mm. basically lacking in sleep. Mm. And then you step on, you, know, you basically walk into a room. You've, you've not step. had a baby recently, have you? <laughs> Still shedding the baby weight. <laughs> and it, it just goes right through your foot. I suspect there's a kind of added fury around the fact that your house is now an absolute tip. <laughs> and you're just like, oh, for... F- <laughs> Eureka is a stack production presented by Dr. Michael Brooks and Rick Edwards. The production team is Temi Adebayo, Katie Baxter, Luke Moore and Charlie Morgan. Sound designed by Katie Baxter. Special thanks to today's expert, Dr. Monty Lyman. Please subscribe and rate wherever you listen to your podcast. It does make a massive difference. We also really love hearing from you guys. So if you have any burning questions you want us to answer, drop us an email at eureka at stack.london or you can find us, as always, on Twitter at EurekaPod. Thanks. Eureka is a Stack production and part of the Acast Creator Network. 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.